0: This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio.
1: Good morning. Coming up to one minute past nine, you are tuned to 102.7 3RRR. You may be listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Bron Burton.
2: My name is Dr Beach.
1: How are you, Dr Beach? I'm
2: very well, Dr Burton.
1: (laughs) Very good to hear.
2: Lovely and sunny out there this morning after a nice splash of rain yesterday afternoon. Good to get the rain. Yeah, very much so.
1: Hey, thanks, Tim, very much for Vital Bits. Thank you, Andrew, very much for Soulful Bits.
2: Yeah, stimulating as always. He's he's receiving the applause out in the green room now.
1: Uh, Good to hear. Adulation, as it is rightly deserved. And we have Nerida here with us, being a technical producer at her finest. And you can catch Nerida on air every Saturday (laughs) between, (laughs) gratuitous plug, 10 till 12, 10pm till 12am on Livewire. Great show last night. Really enjoyed it immensely. I was driving home from a 50th.
2: I was asleep. I was a good boy. Were you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm going to send a big shout out to... uh, well, PK, whose 50th birthday it was, but um, to all the people who are either still awake or gradually waking up, and there'll be quite a few of them out there today. Right. Mm. <laughs> Today's program, we're going to be joined shortly in studio by Fom Sharco, and she uh, presents a regular uh, monthly or so segment called Plastic Literacy, uh, where she explores the impact of plastic on our oceans and maybe looks at some alternatives to production. And today she's going to be talking about how mushrooms can replace polystyrene packaging and um, perhaps be used as methods for cleanup after oil spills. Cool. Mushrooms.
2: Mushrooms. Who'd have thunk it?
1: Yeah. Somebody, (laughs) because it's happening. Yeah. So it's awesome. Uh, We're going to cross to Dr. Surf for a uh, surf report.
2: Uh, And then we're joined in the studio by two students. It's always fun to get a couple of students. There's a third year student studying science, cell biology, environmental science, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lena and Christine who are coming in to talk to us about what's been done to try and, you know, help corals adapt to climate change. So the various different experiments that are being done by people around the world including some um, very interesting work which has been done here in Melbourne. Cool. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to, to hearing what they've come up with.
1: I always like hearing um, specially prepared segments by students because there's so much thought that goes into them and they they really know their stuff. So looking forward to hearing from them.
2: Uh, Yeah, I believe there's been quite a bit of time thinking about this. Excellent. Mm -hmm.
1: And then we've got Jeff Maynard coming in for his um, 2019 Sound Waves meets Blow Waves, where uh, Jeff is looking at that sort of collision between TV shows from the 70s and uh, and the marine environment. So in this one, all I know from what he's told me, it's we're discussing scuba tank safety, shipwrecks and bad mullets. I can't think what it would be, but we'll find out when Jeff comes in.
2: Yeah, we will.
1: Um, and just before we do the weather, I wanted to um, give a shout-out, I should have done this at the start of the show, to Phoebe the dog. And this is this the story behind Phoebe the dog, work colleague, came up to me uh, when I was, you know, in the kitchen making a cup of tea and said, just thought you might like to know that um, poor Phoebe the dog, every time the Radio Marinara theme plays, howls her little head off. <laughs> <laughs> there is something particular about our theme Phoebe do not like. So, good girl, Phoebe. It's okay.
2: Yeah, it's okay, Phoebe. We're all friends here. Yeah. We love you, Phoebe. Yeah. Yeah, let's think about the weather. Yeah. Um, It's very nice outside. Actually, that reminds me. It's a lovely day outside today. I knew a dog once that whenever it was a sunny day wouldn't like to go outside.
3: When it was was, sunny. If if
2: it was cloudy, if it was, you know, kind of a little bit, it was fine. Turns out, scared of balloons. Hot air balloons. Oh, really? Yeah, hot air balloons are more prevalent. This is what the owner figured out. Hot air balloons are more prevalent when it's a lovely sunny morning dog gets nervous doesn't like the hot air balloons think that the gas that's right all that wow don't we love animals so much (laughs) i do Uh, it's going to be 16 degrees today mostly sunny morning very high chance of showers and storms most likely in the evening so late today it's going to come in again like it did yesterday Mm. um Winds 15 to 25 kilometres an hour, an hour, turning northwest 20 to 30 kilometres an hour in the morning and then increasing 25 to 40 in the middle of the day. Um, looking ahead to the week, tomorrow is going to be 13, shower or two and windy. Whoa. Tuesday 16, Wednesday back down to 12 degrees, um, 9 degrees minimum, so 9 to 12. Quite a bit of rain amongst all of that, particularly coming in on Wednesday, 10 to 20 mils. Um, and then a little bit more bit more rain on Thursday. or oh, no, 10 to 20 mils on Thursday. And then Friday's going to be about 5 mils. So, yeah, we're getting into winter. Good. Good. About time. About bloody time. <laughs> uh, for those of you heading out on the water, you'll be interested to know what's happening with the tides at Point Lonstar, which, of course, represents our heads. Uh, low tide at 10.30 this morning of 0.47 metres. Excellent. Yeah. Um, you talked before, Bron. Can I, can I just do a quick little paper? Sure. Um, there was an article, um, what well, we mentioned, FAM's gonna come, FOM's going to come on and talk about plastics. There was a very interesting article which was alerted to me by, um, by a friend of ours, friend of Radio Maranara, Wes, um, and this is an article which appeared in Communications Biology just this week from people from New South Wales, a uh, group led by Anne Paulson, the first author is Sasha Tetu, and they are at Macquarie University in Sydney. And they've been looking at Prochlorococcus. Prochlorococcus is a cyanobacterium, so it's a blue-green alga. It's a bacterium which does photosynthesis, and we believe that this is probably the most abundant photosynthetic organism on Earth. Mm. I talk a lot about phytoplankton on this show. Uh, Mostly the ones I'm referring to are kind of higher organisms, higher cells like dinoflagellates and stuff. These guys are tiny. They're actually bacteria which do photosynthesis. Yeah. And there's lots and lots of them. They're responsible for much of the oxygen which we have in the atmosphere. Um, These people have done the kind of very simple experiment and you kind of think, well, gee, why hasn't anyone done this before? They've taken plastic bags and PVC, so high-density polyethylene represented by grey plastic bags that we used to get from supermarkets, and they've also taken PVC represented by sort of green and blue plastic mats they bought at the local hardware store. They've chopped up both of these things, made solutions out of them with sort of artificial seawater, and this represents the leachate, so the stuff that's coming out of these various plastics. They've mixed them with the prochlorococcus, so these cells, and they've measured the growth rate and they've also men- uh, measured photosynthetic capacity. With both of these plastics, um, without having too much of the stuff in there, it's a dramatic effect. Wow. Is the bottom line.
1: Particularly that this type of blue-green alga?
2: Uh, They've used two strains of this alga, so not many... So experiments have been done before. This kind of experiment has been done with little crustaceans, other organisms, but nobody has done it with phytoplankton in particular, Mm. these very abundant, tiny phytoplankton. And they've been able to show that the PVC in particular um, has a pretty dramatic effect on growth rate and also photosynthetic capacity, which is a bit of a worry.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, Where are they leading with this study in terms of future study? I love the with a lot of science papers there's always kind of like a stay tuned because the next step in this is... One of the
2: things they really want to sort out and this is going to be using complicated gear like um, well, all sorts of measurements apparatus is to see what it actually is in the leachate particularly mm. from the PVC. So there's a lot of things which are there to sort of help in the plastination um, process and stuff that's put on the outside. A lot of metals and things like that and mm-hmm. zinc. Um, phthalates, things that, you know, names like that mm. um, to see exactly what it is that's reducing the um, both the growth rate and the photosynthetic capacity of these organisms. So yeah, take a plastic bag, chop it up or a bit of PVC matting, chop it up into tiny bits uh, and by tiny I just mean like one centimetre square mm. and mix it with the seawater and then chuck in the algae, the photosynthetic bacteria and they don't do as well. Mm course.
1: It's it's interesting because you have this sort of counter line of study coming out which talks about types of cyanobacteria that can break down plastics and it really concerns me that there's out there in the literature there are two uh to to the the generalist audience there seem to be almost um conflicting studies about whether or not you know there are some types of bacteria that break down plastics and, and others that obviously are inhibited by well
2: them. yeah bacteria i mean there are, there are bacteria that make us sick mm. and there are bacteria also the vast majority of bacteria help the world go round, as it were them. without them we wouldn't be here
1: yep so it's important to make that distinction because i have heard sort of commentary here and there about people saying oh isn't it great because the bacteria in the sea will break down the plastic and it's really important that that general perception doesn't get out there nerida
3: i just want to say that, that yeah it's a matter of and un- not necessarily having the, the 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 two different two different arguments but also understanding that whether one is more prevalent the o- than the other that's right
2: and the different jobs at work yep. that these different yep. bacteria do Yeah. It's very important to understand. I so there are good bacteria and there are uh, you know, bacteria that can make us sick and do all sorts of stuff, but mm. you know, the vast majority of them are there to help us spin around. And you know, if they make us sick, is that a bad thing? Too many of us.
3: Natural challenge.
1: <laughs> as always, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. No, we won't Beats. we not in the path. <laughs> Opening up the bit Pandora's A Bit of gallows
2: humour for us. <laughs>
4: just as we're about to go to a track.
1: All right, quarter past nine. This is Radio Marinara. Uh Good morning, shako Good morning. Great to have you here.
4: Thanks for having me again.
1: We've been talking a bit about um, plastic uh, impacts in the ocean and I know you've been listening yeah this is this is what you do how do you how do you feel about all this research that's being done
4: i think it's super exciting Mm. you know i mean necessity is a mother of invention right so so all of these new these new technologies that are coming out at the moment are they're a really good antidote you know to to kind of combat all the really distressing research that is coming out as well because we need to have that balance right we have to have the kind of the, the the fear that moves us into action and then also the solutions that keep us motivated to do what we do.
1: Yeah, indeed. Now, you've come in today to talk about mushrooms
4: oh, and the yes. connection
1: between mushrooms and the marine environment. I love
4: this. <laughs> yeah, well, disclaimer, I am a total fungifile. Um, I've been obsessed with mushrooms and fungi yeah you know, for a few years now. And I thought, well, it's autumn you know and a little bit of research has been um coming out lately about you know using mushrooms to uh combat plastic pollution but also just help the oceans with oil spills and things like that just clean ups um so i thought hmm that's really interesting and since it's autumn and a lot of people are mushroom hunting at the moment for Mm. nice beautiful pine mushrooms all around melbourne uh, and god knows what else because there's other stuff growing out there too um, i thought that might be a a good one to bring into the studio Mm. today let's do it
1: (laughs) so what's the research with mushrooms and and it's use as an alternative for plastic yeah this this is fascinating
4: so i think the most exciting part of this i mean you know once you start googling stuff all this exciting stuff comes up but what i really wanted to highlight today is Um, The the plastic packaging of polystyrene is a massive, massive problem. Even here in Melbourne, um, the research that I'm doing with the Eco Center has pinpointed polystyrene as one of the biggest problematic litter items that we find in the Yarra River. At the moment, the, the Yarra River Blitz is going on. I think today they're cleaning up as well. And you just got to ask the guys from uh, uh, Clean Clean Water Group who have that boat with the, with the vacuum and they vacuum up all of the polystyrene that are in the reed beds and things like that. I mean, it's just incredible the amounts that get out into our waterways.
1: I'm amazed we're still using polystyrene because it's, it's one of those uh, products that has, you know, You see it less and less and less, but it's obviously still out there. Nerida? Don't
3: places like juice bars use them for their juices like they don't necessarily always use the clear plastic things they've got haven't they got
4: yeah it's really amazing how we st- in clean up and they sh- still that find stuff breaks cups down that mm. stuff
3: breaks down into the yeah
4: it's it's almost ah. impossible to clean up yeah. right because I mean when you look between reed beds and waterways you can see the tiny little balls it's not just the the, the packaging that we get from TVs and and laptops and stuff um, that blows out of the bins but it's oh, also I see that stuff too. yeah so it's that packaging yeah. that white packaging but also the tiny little balls that for example you find in bean bean bags yeah remember what it was like if you accidentally open your bean bag yeah it goes everywhere and it's impossible to clean up and the building industry uses it as insulation as well so when they cut those insulation blocks they don't always contain what blows out on the wind Mm. right so so all of that together is death by a thousand cuts
3: and they're cutting that stuff to size on site aren't they yeah
4: exactly and and so it's it's not always contained properly especially when it's windy outside and that's how we get all of that stuff in the waterways Um, Um, However, mushrooms are here to save the world. Uh, Once again, uh, I'm a big fan of this uh, guy called Paul Stamets. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He is a... He's not actually officially a scientist, but he's done a lot of research, and he he works with a lot of uh, um, universities in the U.S., and um, he basically has proven in his his book... um, how mushrooms can save the world. It's called mycelium running. Uh, And there's a lot about bioremediation with the help of fungi in there, including cleaning up waterways of toxins and things like that.
1: Yeah, I mentioned that at the start of the program because it was what we talked about yesterday Mm. in terms of what you're going to be talking about today. So using mushrooms as a product for cleaning up Oil spills and other spills as well. Yeah, yeah. So what what's all about that? What's, what's well? He
4: said? The beauty. Well, there's two different things that mycelium does. So mycelium is actually the structure of the fungus, right? So the mushrooms that we see are only the fruiting bodies. So if you have an apple tree, basically, if you compare it to a fungus, the tree is under the ground, and then the apples pop up, right? So it's not actually the mushrooms. It, the organism is actually under the ground, mm. and it consists of what we call mycelium, and those are. Uh, single cell threads that look white most of the time. So if you dig a little hole in a a pine forest, you can see the white threads. You can see the fungus go through and breaking down um, pieces of wood and things like that. So those those white threads, that's the mycelium. That is the actual organism. Now there is an amazing company in the US and they've been doing this since 2010 where you can actually grow that mycelium in certain shapes. For example, if you want to uh, replace polystyrene packaging, you can take a mold of the, um, the, the, the shape of the packaging that you want to make and you can fill that up with agricultural waste, such as, you know, waste from the hemp industry or from corn, you know, all of that organic stuff. You can put that in that shape and then inoculate it with the spores and the the, uh, mycorrhizal masses of the fungus. And so within about six days, if you put it, you know, nice and warm with a little bit of moisture, in about six days, that fungus will have grown all through that organic material, just eating that up and digesting that. And it will have grown into the shape of that mold mold. yeah and then after six days you can basically kill the fungus and kill the spores with heat and dry it out really well you take the mold off and there you have it a piece of packaging that can replace polystyrene wow (laughs) and it's clearly (laughs) absorbent well, it's actually well. it's actually hydrophobic ah. when once it's dried. So that means that it is actually very similar to polystyrene. Uh. So you don't have to be scared that it'll soak itself full of water when it gets wet. Right? right? Yeah, it's also fire resistant. So you can use okay. it as insulation for houses as well. Bonus. Yeah, I know, right? So <laughs> <laughs> you can you can insulate your house with with those um, with with fungi basically um so these guys i mean they've just uh, popped up again because they're really expanding their range they're now going into uh vegan leather so they've made they've they've found out a way of having um these this mycorrhizal mass grow in a way that it's actually a little bit it looks a little bit like a rubber or a latex um, and you can make pliable things from it such such as shoes um, you know they sell packaging I think they got IKEA on board um, because IKEA obviously uses a lot of packaging for their products um, and they're going to work with them to replace all of their polystyrene um, with this with this product.
1: It's amazing that the answers are out there I, f- I find this both inspiring and frustrating in equal measure. <laughs> Where is this at in terms of creating a market? Because we've heard all sorts of reports that have come through about uh, algae as well, yeah, for different purposes. But the the use of algae for all sorts of different, you know, potential um, alternative options rather than fossil fuels. And this just seems like another part of that puzzle.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's it's partly driven, like the algae thing where they make the water, replace the plastic water bottles with the algae. Um, that's partly driven by the fact that the EU is banning single-use plastic packaging for food, right? So, so it needs to have an incentive for the industry to change. Mm. You know, the industry needs support. People need to actually buy the products and commit to it. So when a big giant like IKEA comes on board, that is a really good thing to do because they can champion that and they can test it out on a large scale. Um, so it's, it's you know, it needs to be pushed by, by the grassroots people, by the law as well, um, just to get that industry to change. And it's happening and it's very, very exciting.
1: Yeah. Where is it happening? It's not happening here, obviously. So
4: Ecovative, is uh, that's the the company that does the, the mushroom stuff, the packaging. So they're a US-based, but I know that they are working with a Dutch distributor as well. Um, I think they're called CNC, and they've been growing just like mushrooms for the market since forever. Mm. Uh, and they're the distributor for Europe. Um, and what's really cool, if you visit their website, you can actually become one of the one of the producers if you want so if you decide to set up your own plant and use their mushroom formula for packaging you can do so and it's just one click away so if you're in europe or in australia and you're like well this seems to be a really good thing to get into um you can actually just reach out to them and and set it up here uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> what 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 is that website again?
4: <laughs> I don't know if I am I am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's mushroompackaging.com. That's How it. obvious is that? So start there. Well, no one else is doing it. It's not like there's competition
3: or anything like that. And it is, I mean, it's innovation. It's a solution. It's technologi- yeah, I, it's I have no it's, problem yeah.
4: spruking solutions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no yeah. matter where they come from. So. And, and
2: ov- obviously, just, it can be a huge market for this in Europe at least.
4: Yeah, exactly. So well, it's And very other
2: places you would hope as well, but this has been kind of stimulated by legislation, as you said. Yeah, exactly.
4: Banning. So it's it's a very exciting time. And I mean, one of those things, it needs to be scalable. Right, it needs to, you need to be able to upscale it in a way that's cheaper than making plastic.
2: Yeah, that's, so that's I would, a challenge. I'd imagine it is quite expensive at the moment, and this is why we've you know, had this bind with plastics. that It's been cheap, and we can do it, and just you know, don't worry about it.
3: Yeah, isn't it also more the point that isn't uh, isn't a big part of it that if there isn't any if there isn't any legislation to actually support it, then it's not that it's so expensive. It's that something is so much cheaper. It's like the, the old method is so much cheaper that's to right, produce, yeah. it's easy. So it's a, it's a, it's <coughs> not actually so expensive. Yeah, but exactly. It's,
4: this is just so it's and that, ridiculously cheap. And that's cheap. where a bit of legislation will really yeah. help pushing things in the in a different direction. And and as for the oil spills, um, it's a very similar thing where the the fungus actually has been proven to break down uh, the polyaromatic hydro- hydrocarbons in the soil. So uh, oh, sorry, in the in the oil. So <laughs> this guy Paul Stamets, he Um, did an experiment where they took oil from the ocean from an oil spill in America I think it was a really big one in San Francisco a number of years ago and uh, they had a few different piles one they used bacteria that break down oil and on the other one they inoculated it with get this oyster mushrooms (laughs) right so very common edible mushrooms Mm. and uh, it only took um, about I think it took a, only a few weeks for it to start breaking down, and so they were the the oyster mushrooms. Obviously, grew all of their mycorrhizal hyphae all through the oil and started breaking down those hydrocarbons. But what was really interesting it was also that once they started growing there, the insects would come because they would feed on the mushrooms. They would feed on the pollen, uh, the pollen, the spores as well of the mushrooms and then when the when the insects would come they'd lay eggs and the larvae would attract birds so, so the it's birds would come new,
1: creating a whole ecosystem exactly
4: the birds would start pooing the seeds into the pile of new soil and you know all of a sudden there were plants so after a few months when they compared those piles you know the bacteria was still breaking down the oil pile and it was all stinky and black and (laughs) the mushroom pile had just turned into a little ecosystem wow Wow.
1: and particularly when you look at the significance of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons so they're known Amongst the world of ecotoxicologists, PAHs, they're carcinogenic. They're
4: really nasty. Oh, like- they're terrible. Mm. And in, in many places, for example, in Finland, someone has tested it on soil because there's a lot of contaminated soil from industry. And, uh, yeah, she she did a similar experiment where she put fungus through the soil. And, uh, yeah, it, it only took a few months for, for that to be totally remediated. I think it took... Um, I think 90, 96 percent of the hydrocarbons have been broken down after a few weeks. Wow! Yeah, it is incredible. Mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Mushrooms Let's stop to save the world.
1: Extinctionable. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Fom. You're welcome. Brilliant.
4: Looking forward to having you back already. <laughs>
1: to, uh, to bring us up to speed with what's happening in the world
4: of plastic yeah. literacy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to next month. Yeah. Who knows what's going to come up. <laughs>
1: I'm looking forward to it too, as well.
5: Estamos escuchando Radio Marinara en 3RRR.
1: Indeed you are, listening to Radio Marinara on 3 R. And without further ado, we're now going to cross to Dr. Surf for our dive, re- uh, not dive report, surf <laughs> report.
2: Well, it could be dive report. How <laughs> 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 Dr. Surf? Everyone. Morning, um, Surf.
0: I'm not too bad today. I've had a bit of a cold, self-induced, but I'm pretty good. Very good. How I'm do you do s- the dishes? Cleaning up after an 18th birthday party, last. Night.
2: Oh. I heard about that. I heard about that. How'd it go?
0: Good. Oh, they're lovely kids. They're oh. well behaved. Nice. So no, it all went well. Very happy.
2: Good. Almost so didn't you want get a up there.
0: Report, do you?
1: Yes, please.
0: <laughs> well, you remember last time we spoke? I said it couldn't get any better than than this. <laughs> Well, it has. <laughs> we said, I think we've had one average day in three weeks. It's just been pumping. There's a couple of days last week where there's a little bit too much north in the wind, but there's just swell, 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 and it's going to get big again tomorrow. So, it to be back to the office. I was paddling around late last week, and a mate of mine, Rick, came up to me out in the water and said, "How do you feel?" And I said, "I'm stuffed." <laughs> <laughs> Happy smiles on our faces, so it's all good and it's good today. Um, I think low tide's about 10.30 30. Uh, it's going to drop up a little bit, but the wind's a perfect northwest, so that means head down towards Torquay. It'll be about head high, so make sure you know what you're doing. It'll be building to be pretty big tomorrow, but I think the wind's going to turn a bit more southwest. Not that that's a real problem, but and yeah, it's been a May, an amazing May.
1: Why has it been so good? Uh, we've obviously had pretty warm weather for autumn, for late autumn and, and northerly winds, which I guess, you know, why is the well, surf so it's, good?
0: It's, if you look at the weather, the proper weather, not, not the channel nine weather or channel 10, look at the proper weather map, you'll see a lot of fronts that have come up and they've just gone through Tassie and they haven't hit us, but that's enough to push the swell up because the, the fronts bring the swells from the southwest. Oh, okay. And, and then, we've had quite you know nice highs sitting over us with north-northwest winds, which particularly northwest grooms the waves, so they're nice and smooth. And these swells have been coming for quite a long way away. We've had a couple of swells that have been 17 to 20-second periods, and, and that means that there's 17 to 20 seconds between each wave, which means it's coming from a long way away, and it's very straight. And even, and we've had day after day after day of those conditions. So you really—it's like I said many times. There's only three things that are guaranteed in life: it's taxes, death, and you'll get great surf in Victoria in May <laughs> every year.
2: So you're um, <laughs> um, you're, you're preparing time. yourself for another big week. You're going to get out
0: there. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be out there tomorrow. Um, 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 they, they're swell. net are predicting predicting a six metre swell. So that'll be pretty big. It won't be six metres where we surf, it just means six metres offshore, but that's big enough
3: mm.
0: for the sheltered corners so that if the wind turns a little bit more southwest, doesn't matter. There'll still be clean waves somewhere and, and certainly Tuesday's looking excellent, Wednesday's looking good and then I think we're going to go into a, a couple of days of on so I could have a rest. <laughs> <laughs> I could, could actually do some work for a change. Awesome. But, um, yeah, it's been wonderful. It's just a, uh, just a wonderful place to be in May.
1: Excellent. Down
0: here.
1: Well, we'll leave you to... Um, um,
0: we'll, yeah, just go down to Torquay because there'll be great waves down there.
1: Good one. Thanks, Dr. Surf.
2: Yeah, send them all to Torquay, pleasure. West Coast. <laughs> I got that. Good way to
0: no way to here.
2: Nothing guess to guess which peninsula, Dr. Surf lives. Like. <laughs> 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 Nothing to look at down here. <laughs> Nothing to look at here. <laughs> Nothing to
1: see here. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Dr. Surf. We'll catch you in the studio in a couple of weeks, hopefully.
2: Yep, I'll be there.
1: Looking forward to it. See ya. See ya. See ya. Bye for now.
0: Hi, this is Wayne Lynch, and
5: you're listening to Radio Marinara on three triple R.
1: Indeed, you are. We are. And uh, congratulations to Peter, who was the lucky winner of that double pass.
2: <laughs> Peter won it. Yeah, not you. Uh, no, well, who's Peter? I don't know. Not yeah, you. That's right. Yeah, eight <laughs> foot Felix can like says Peter is going to have a fantastic time. He is. They're, and China Beach are really good as well. Um, we've ta- Bron, we've talked lots on the show about how we're all worried about the coral reefs. Yes. Many people are with um, climate change, with what's going to happen, and we've lucky this morning to be joined in the studio by a couple of students, Christine and Lena, who are also very interested in this and have been doing quite a lot of reading over the last few weeks and are going to talk to us about, well, you know, what are you going to talk to us about? Well, first of all, (laughs)
6: Lena and Christine.
2: Hi, how are you going?
6: Hiya. Good. How are
2: you? Um, You guys are third year students studying science. What sort of science is it?
5: Um, So I'm doing a Bachelor of Science with a major in Animal (coughs) Biology. And I'm majoring in Cell Biology.
6: Cool. Yeah.
2: Having a good time, enjoying it.
5: Yeah, it's yeah. getting towards the end of it, so
6: you know it's a bit, it's a bit tedious now. <laughs> is it, is it three years gone pretty quickly. It's actually four years for me. Oh, four yeah. years, yeah. yeah. it It's quick, yeah. Now it seems to drag out even more, but it's fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and one of your subjects in your final year is to do like a communication unit, where it you is, prepare yeah. a particular topic and come and share it with the world. For example, here on um, yeah. tri- on Triple R and Radio R and Sunday morning.
6: Here we are.
2: Okay, so corals. Climate change, there has been quite a bit of work recently, which you've alerted me to, where people are trying to, I guess, artificially adapt corals to, to cope with yeah, climate change. Yeah.
6: like Can- assisted evolution, essentially. So um, what sparked our interest into it was a paper. It was published in Science Journal, and it predominantly focuses on the work by... Um, Madeline Van Oppen, she's working in the National Sea Simulator in Townsville, um, she is from Melbourne University, but um, that kind of prompted us to delve into the world of corals and we wanted to look into what else is going on in there.
2: Okay, before we get into that though, can you just remind us, because I've got a pretty sick brain, I, I lose <laughs> a lot of stuff quickly, corals, so what are they and what happens when we have climate change and we get the, well, when we get coral bleaching, when we get overheating?
5: Um, So, coral is an animal that shows mutualism, so the coral itself is a hard-skeleton animal with algae living inside its tissues, so the way it works is the algae will provide nutrients through photosynthesis for the coral, and then the coral provides a shelter for the algae, Um, but the problem is that when coral reaches a certain temperature, it expels the algae out of its tissues, so that leaves the coral with no nutrients, it's unable to reproduce, Um, it has an increased mortality, and this phenomena is called coral bleaching, and it's a really big issue in Australia at the moment. Um, it's caused by really big heat waves. So the Great Barrier Reef had one in 2016 and also one in 2017. But historically these sorts of events would only happen once on average every 20 years. Um, one of the professors at James Cook University, Terry Hughes, released a paper this year saying that these bleaching events have unfortunately led to a 90% reduction in the birth of new coral on the Great Barrier Reef.
2: So ca- can the corals recover from bleaching?
5: It kind of depends.
6: It really depends on um, how long the corals are exposed to the um, elevated temperatures. So sometimes they can recover in a matter of days, sometimes, you know, not at all, but it's gonna affect the overall health and the corals are gonna be much more susceptible to disease and they, you know, no longer have the nutrients that are required for other metabolic functions. Yeah. So they're quite weakened yes, when this happens yeah. and the resistance becomes Definitely. lowered.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: And Terry yeah, Terry Hughes had that paper very recently in Nature where he showed that there was an, you know, an amazing reduction in uh, after the 2016 and the 2017 bleaching events, an amazing reduction in um, the numbers of corals that were there yeah. and therefore you're getting really reduced recruitment coming the year after.
5: Um, yeah, so when referring to it, you said that dead coral don't make babies and I think that's a really powerful way to put it because sometimes we forget that coral are living animals and mad main climate change is essentially just killing them off. Um, When temperatures do drop to a sustainable level the coral will will take in the algae again and unbleach but prolonged bleaching will always lead to an eventual death of the coral. Um, Faster growing species can recover from a mass bleaching in about 10 years but slower growing species will take about 20. Um, Terry Hughes believes the only way to really stop this process is to reduce our emissions. Um, The reef might survive if... This sort of thing continues, but it'll be a much less diverse than it is now.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not just that um, that lowered resistance at an individual level, but once it becomes at a, a much broader scale, you're talking about recovery not just as an individual little single coral organism, but it's about the entire network of corals yeah, that, 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 you know, their resistance, its resistance gets lowered to.
2: Yeah. Mm. So what's been done to tackle this issue?
6: So there are about four lines of um, research going on at the moment, the first being crossbreeding, so that can be um, breeding within the species. They're manually mixing um, strains of coral together the, the most... Are the ones they're finding most resilient, the other being um, interbreeding between species. So, for example, there's um, two species of Acropora, um, and you might have heard, like, staghorn or elkhorn mm. corals. Um, so they're, what they're doing is um, producing hybrids out of crossbreeding these species, which wouldn't usually breed in the wild. Um, they're doing tests on them to see if they have produced more desirable traits to survive warmer climates, and then only recently they've been allowed to um, release them back into the reef. But they're not allowed; uh, they have to bring them back when they're before they're sexually mature. So they're not allowed to reproduce because they don't know the long-term effects of you know these hybrid species.
2: Who, who's doing that work?
6: Uh, that's Mylène Van Oppen. So she's doing that at the moment. Um, another one, another technique. And she's
2: at the Melbourne Uni, is it?
6: Yeah, from yeah. Melbourne Uni. Yeah, working up in Townsville at the National Sea Simulator.
2: Okay, the National Sea Simulator, what's that?
5: Um, So it's a facility that was built by the Australian Institute of Marine Science. Um, It's got dozens of tanks in it where they can control the pH and the salinity of the water that they've got in them so that they can try to mimic what the ocean is like now and what we've predicted it's going to be like in future. Okay,
1: cool. So you mentioned there were four lines of research, so that was one. Yeah, so that's one. Uh,
5: The other being um,
6: altering the microbiome of the coral. So we both find this really fascinating. I think we've all heard about um, gut bacteria. You know, that's a really big so much attention towards that at the moment and the gut brain axis so researchers are applying similar methods with coral they're um, actually going and manually manipulating the microbiome of coral so they've chosen um putatively beneficial microorganisms for coral um and what that is is they're these specific microorganisms that are going to be beneficial for the coral and diminish the instances of coral bleaching when stressed in times of heat
2: mm. so have they identified those organisms they, like they've done the microbiome of corals and now they're
6: Yeah, so now they're they're looking into these microorganisms, they've done tests on them to see um, the heat resilience and where they're going to apply these into the coral, so they've done a range of tests, I think there are about five, I couldn't tell you the the ridiculously long Latin names, (laughs) (laughs) but they're there.
2: fantastic and and, and other work so that's the second line
6: yeah and also they're um raising algae to become more heat resistant so in the lab they're putting the algae and growing them in higher temperatures and then hopefully you know doing a similar thing inserting them into the microbiome of the coral um and they're also working with both the the coral and the algae um talking about genetically modifying the coral
2: genetically modifying that's i mean that's something that's kind of I don't know, my 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 antennae it's, it's instantly quite a, go yeah, up. There. Controversial it's approach. Controversial, definitely. yeah, and presumably um, that's a that's a last resort.
6: It is a it is a last resort and because um, they don't know the long consequent uh, the long term effects of the coral, um, it's still you know they're ve- being very cautious about what they do and what they can do you know not putting things out into the wild
1: do these four lines of research um that you've come across you might not have but do they speak to each other are they kind of four silos of research going on or is there a bit of cross sorry to extend the metaphor a bit yeah. of cross-pollination between <laughs> is,
5: no i think there is a bit of cross-pollination um christine knows a lot more about madeline van oppen's work and um yeah so madeline van oppen is working um at the national sea stimulator where she is building hybrids um, and also breeding purebreds. But in the same facility, what they're doing is breeding algae in hotter conditions to try to create strains that are heat-resistant to reintroduce them back into the coral colonies that they're breeding as well. Yeah,
2: cool. And are they reintroducing any of those?
5: So Um, so they have
6: recently, um, um, but, you know, like I said before, they they have to bring them back before they are sexually mature and... um, there's there's a really big shift between the symbionts when they have been growing in the lab to when they're out in the actual environment, so they don't really know.
2: OK, so this, let's get, me get, get this straight. So they're, they're taking um, two species of Acropora, breeding them, um, and then selecting for ones which are more naturally heat-resistant, yep. so they're not genetically modifying them. No. And they're looking at the, the ones which are doing better under elevated temperatures. They're then taking back up onto the reef to see how they're going.
6: Yeah, that's great. That's
2: OK, cool. But before they reach sexual maturity... Just in case of something sort of wacky happening, yeah, they don't want some super coral taking over the Great
6: Barrier Reef.
2: (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah, fantastic. That's been amazing.
6: (laughs) Super coral. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Thanks, guys, so much for coming in. Thanks so
6: much for having us.
2: And good luck with the rest of your studies. And um, yeah, feel free to come back in any other time if you have got anything else you want. We'd love to. Yeah, (laughs) keep us updated with what's going on. That was great. Yeah. Okay, so that was Lena and Christine from Deakin Uni third year students telling us about coral how we're trying to adapt corals to climate change yeah
1: and four lines of research that's that's my take home with this one is just to really think about those four lines of research and as they both evolve can start really working together because you know there's there's just so much work to be done and so much potential so much potential yeah
2: it's great hi i'm david suzuki and you're listening to radio marinara on 3 triple r
7: 102.7 fm
1: thank you david suzuki it is nine minutes to ten and uh welcome jeff maynard Good morning. Great to have you here. Yeah.
7: I'm thrilled to be back. <laughs> it's wonderful
1: to it, it has there. It has been a while between. It has, the has been a
7: while, yeah. No, I, I missed one. I was I was away, and I but just little things. I missed them. It's, it's been. It uh, happens. Well, it's it does happen. Life gets in the way of yeah. whatever John hadn't said. Um, <laughs> TV shows from the seventies. Yeah, uh, they have so much to teach us. We, yeah, I mean, I know we study all our sort of polystyrene in the gutter and all that sort of stuff, but TV shows from the 70s do have a lot to teach us. I reckon my whole education is based around TV shows from the 70s. Well, you're a well-educated man, Dr Beach. (laughs) Uh, And today I'm going to talk what they can teach us about maritime archaeology, because they do have um, lots to teach us. And back in the 70s, um, maritime archaeologists were almost exclusively uh, women. They were all about 30. They all had Farrah Fawcett hair. Um, they would go diving to shipwrecks in skimpy bikinis. Yeah. and, and One wonders why I got into marine biology or yeah, into marine and, science. And, and the good thing was the shipwrecks were always like 300-year-old Spanish galleons and yeah. they were in about 10 metres of water, maybe about 100 metres off a public beach, you know, <laughs> really well preserved. And you had to dive down and you'd find the ship's log, which despite being underwater for 300 years was still perfect perfectly preserved in a little wooden box or something like that. So so this was maritime archaeology in the 70s. and um, But the ba- th- there was a downside, I have to say, there was a downside because when you got to the surface with your ship's log and you were sort of falling back into your little boat in your bikini and taking off your scuba regulator and uh, your, your tank and regulator and, you know, looking, oh, here's the ship's log from the Santa something or other, um, baddies would come along and shoot you. Right. It <laughs> happened every time. So this is the situation for this particular tv show let's have a listen
8: it's the log the ship's log if this has the course corrections it's the last clue we need oh paul we could be this close to finding the entire treasure you (laughs) can't go out there they took the treasure we found even the log the
1: research destroyed. <gasps> what so, did they want with that
7: log, Jeff? Oh, well, they wanted to know where the ship was. Right. I uh, get to that in a minute because okay. it's, it's kind of states the obvious bit. But then, of course, the seventy. You need a hero that's going to save all this and stop the air, guys. And I've got sort of a famous hero. He comes in, he's got... Um, oh, well, it's a surprise. It's a heat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the hero's a <laughs> the, yeah. the, the maritime... Oh, I thought player. it might be another girl. No, 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 the hero's <sighs> got to come. And heroes in the 70s were... They, they just dialed up the laconic so much, you know. It's just like, oh, yeah, I could do that. you know. They, they sort of all went to the John Wayne School of Acting and then just took it down about five levels in... <laughs> effort. And uh, so I'm going to introduce our hero. We'll all know him. Let's bring him on. Name's MacGyver,
8: Phoenix Foundation. Oh yes, I know the Phoenix Foundation, of course, but I don't know exactly what you do, Mr. MacGyver.
0: Just MacGyver. I just kind of fix things around the place, that's all.
8: Do you fix bullet riddled boat cabins?
0: I was kind of hoping to do a little more than that. Can we talk?
8: Sure, but I don't think I can tell you anything worthwhile.
7: MacGyver was the guy who basically had a bad haircut and a Swiss Army knife, and he could. He just every every episode he'd do something. You know, if you're stuck on the twenty seventh floor of a burning building, he'd get uh, a. a, a office chair and a bit of rope and he'd rig up a flying fox and you'd sort of get to another building and things like that. He was always doing that kind of stuff. So each each episode he'd figure something out and uh, whip out his Swiss army knife and sort it all out. But in this case he's, um, uh, the baddies have got the ship's log or something or other. I don't, I don't really quite get it. I didn't really want to watch it. Um, <laughs> I'm also getting getting images These shows do date very quickly Full full disclosure They date very quickly Um, But anyway, they're standing around In the somewhere rather And MacGyver and the maritime archaeologist Are discussing something And the baddies are sort of getting in on the conversation I'm not quite sure, you can figure it out
0: Stolen artifacts What do you figure they're worth?
8: Priceless in terms of knowledge And then there's the material value Here let me show you now these were parts of a shipment of treasure out of monterey bound for spain they've told us a lot about spanish colonial trade routes
5: i got a
0: hunch these guys weren't too interested in spanish colonial trade routes
8: how much have you collecting so far about thirty or forty thousand dollars worth yesterday was our first real find but it was stolen so
7: it was out of Monterey in California, bound for Spain. So it told us about trade routes. So like, mm. it's going from California <laughs> to Spain, and it tells us where it's going. That's it's pretty uh, good stuff. I mean, yeah, we figured out it's going from California to Spain, so therefore it must be that must be where they were going. It's um, highbrow. Anyway, look, the, 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 it gets to the big climax. MacGyver is in a small boat. The bandies come along. They bolt the hatch down on top of him. So he's trapped under, under the deck of this tiny little boat. And then instead of just shooting him, which I think would be the obvious thing, uh, they, fill, they bullet, fill the boat with bullet holes to sort of sink it and let him sort of figure out it there. So let, let's let MacGyver get out of it.
8: Have a good trip, MacGyver!
0: The hatch was locked down. The water was rising. It was tight and getting tighter. I needed a way out fast all I had to work with was water and maybe this bilge pump (laughs) normally a bilge pump shoves water out of the boat but if I pumped water into one of these
7: boat bumpers I just might have a way to crack the hatch so he gets his Swiss—he gets a boat bumper, which is a big, thick plastic thing. He cuts a little hole, slit in the side, with his Swiss Army knife. He shoves in a bit of plastic tubing, and then pumps air into to the with the bilge pump supposedly to burst open the hatch which is the equivalent of sort of if you've got a flat tyre getting down on your hands and knees putting your mouth over the tube and inflating it by blowing into (laughs) it but if you blow too hard you'll burst the tyre so that's pretty much what he was doing but anyway it didn't work anyway so he he went for the old standard he grabbed, he found a scuba tank he pointed the bottom of the scuba tank at the hatch hit the valve with a rock and and that sort of scuba tank sort of knocked the valve off and uh, blew the hatch off (laughs) and he got out of it like that—that's MacGyver, uh, and that's that's it. There, there we go. There's another soundwave meets blowwave. Exactly. I hope you've all learnt something. A very illuminating, Jeff. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank that, you that was
1: a top shelf soundwave meets blowwave. Like bringing MacGyver the, to Radio Marinaro yeah. thats pretty
7: mm-hmm. special, Jeff. Not an easy task. Ha, I,
1: have you peaked too early in the year, Jeff? How are you going to top that?
7: No, no, no. <laughs> no. I'm only warming up, <laughs> Thank the you. 70s are rich, rich. Oh,
1: brilliant. <laughs> Any clues on next time?
7: No, I haven't thought about it yet <laughs> Okay, Well we'll look forward to it in
1: a few weeks time That brings us to the end of Radio Marinara. Thank you to all our guests today
3: um, oh, oh, sorry no. <laughs>
1: Thanks thanks to Nerida for panelling for us, thank you Dr Beach
8: uh, That's a pleasure uh, Thank
1: you Jeff, thank you Kent who's been out there in the green room taking your calls um, and uh, he will be in shortly with uh, radiotherapy to take you through to 11 o'clock. And yes, our guests today, Talina and Christine. Thanks, Dr. Surf, for the surf report. And thanks, FOM, for bringing us plastic literacy.
0: This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.